Checking it one, two, test, test levels. Yeah, it's Tuesday, August 25th, and you're listening to a new episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. It's our podcast, and it's an hour. Uh, sometimes it's longer, sometimes shorter, but uh, welcome, everybody. Thanks for listening on today's episode. Comedian, actor, Dom Perret. Whoa, spiking those levels. Dom Perret stops in Lemon Press Studios for a chat, a nice catch-up sesh, as well as Jen Grant joins us for another hilarious installment of Are You Mariah or Yoko? That and so, so, so much more starts now. <laughs> to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast, everybody. Hey, did, you, did that did that burp catch? Did you, did you hear that in there? Mixed in? That's not Mike Bennett. That was me. Welcome, everybody. I already said that. Repeat. Repeating myself. Uh, welcome, as always, coming at you from the distillery district downtown Tanana. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Oh, that took everything out of me. I'm not feeling one hundo p, a hundo p, as the kids would say. Would say it. I don't know what happened. I just feel like kind of like mild, mildly feverish and achy, but I'm pushing through. Getting this episode out on time for you. Pushing through for you, the Julian Dion story. Is it? I don't know. All right, how you doing today? By the way, thanks for um, emails. Emails. I'm getting emails and stuff. A lot of nice messages from from people about the reboot episode and uh, and so on. I hope you listened to the last episode. Uh, Friday, I guess the date was. What was the date on Friday? The 21st, maybe something like that. Let me check. Yeah, uh, with my guest Tim Ravnit. That was a fun episode. Good epi. Anyway, we got another good one here today. My guest Dom Perret. Whom I uh, know from back in the day in Ottawa when I lived there briefly, doing stand-up comedies together. We used to smoke joints and hit mics. In fact, I, I wanted to talk to him about this, but I never got to it. The time I was highest on stage... The time I was highest on stage ever was with Dom uh, Perret. This one time, back in the day, the Absolute Comedy used to run this Tuesday night rooms at Tailgaters in Ottawa's West End on Maryvale. I don't even know if Tailgaters is there now, but it's a giant pool hall, and they had this separate room, this ca- this big cavernous room, which would get pretty packed on Tuesday nights, and Absolute Comedy would do a show there. They'd put on like three or four amateurs, and the weekend's headliner and MC would go up, do the thing. So 
And I had never performed at Absolute at that time. I was independent. Was this was pre-signing with Yuck Yucks. Now I'm post-signing signed with Yuck Yucks. But this was back uh, back then. I never met Jason Lawrence. I never performed anywhere but a Yuck Yuck stage. But I was independent, and I was looking to uh, get more stage time any way I could. I could. So I'll never forget it. Um, I was new to Ottawa, and I knew I knew Dom. So he came to pick me up one night, and we were just gonna go check out the show at Absolute or at Tailgaters, rather, and in the process, we get there, and before we go in, like, ah, let's smoke, smoke a joint, sure, I'm down, I was always down, and we proceed to smoke, and I was unbelievably high, like, like pretty much too high, where everything was, I was kind of spike. it was super fresh, so I was, sp- like, everything was just spiking off the charts, and so uh, got, we walk inside, and uh, Dom introduces me to Jason, and he's like, oh, he's a funny comic, you should uh, eventually see him and consider, you know, working the guy. And he goes, well, he's got a spot tonight. You go up, you do seven minutes. And it was one of those situations I just couldn't possibly say no. You know, it was like an opportunity to get past, and I remember, I'm like, oh, f- oh shit, all right, I'm doing this. And I'll never forget the feeling, I go up on stage incredibly high, and I could, ju- it, it was almost, there was like a lag from, I could hear my, I would say my words, and then there was like a gap. I, I was actually present for the time that my brain took to process the words that came out of my body, my face hole. And so I would, I would say something and it would take like, well, it would seem like a second or two to hear the words and then like another second or two to get the laughs. Anyway, it ended up, uh, Jason liked my set that night, and from there, started working with Absolute, but uh, Dom Perret, I wanted to touch on that story when he was here, and I forgot, but one of the, one of the times that I was most high, especially fresh, we had just smoked. Anyway, that's all behind me now, as you know, actually today, August 25th, is 35 days off the weed. That's right, folks, five weeks and uh, it's pretty easy now. It was really tough at first, like I mentioned. If you listen to the reboot episode, how it's I kind it's kind of something I had to do and wanted to do, and intellectually knew that I had to actually make this happen, or I would just coast and maybe just become a failure or mediocre at best. So, in order to push through and become the best I can possibly be, I quit everything. Well, not everything. Pot. I quit it all. Why all and everything? No pot. I quit pot. Okay, what do we got here? Oh my god, this is another thing. It's so funny. Randomly, I just listened to episode 21 with Jason Fraser because I sent a link a link to my agent. I asked my agent, Mia, to come in studio and talk business and stuff because I, I often mention her here. I talk about how much I audition and never book anything, so I figured it'd be fun to have her in studio and talk. And, and she knows Jason Fraser. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back. Anyway, I just listened to the first three, four minutes because she wanted the link, and I talk about how I'm under the weather and I have a zit, a pimple in my belly button, and would you fucking believe it? It's exactly my state right now. I'm not feeling 100, 100% like I mentioned off the top. And I have a fucking pimple in my belly button, which is super painful. And I don't know why. It just once in a while. Ah, <laughs> uh, gross. Yeah, gross. Whoa, spike in the levels on the gross. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what causes it, but it's so tender. And anytime I... Uh, 
touch it. And so I've been like um like a complete gross person. I've been taking a little uh like a like, what do you call those things like a like it's like a turkey baster but mini like really mini like where you, where you take vitamins or like vitamins with it or something like that. I've been taking a mini one like that with rubbing alcohol and uh, soaking my belly button in rubbing alcohol. While I watch like TV or something, I'll lay back, fill my belly button all the way to the brim with rubbing alcohol <laughs> and just um, hopefully dry it out or something like that. So that's my remedy. If you ever, if you find yourself with a belly button zit, just uh, get a mini turkey baster and fill that shit with rubbing alcohol and repeat, rinse and repeat. Um, that's gross. It is, is it gross? Yeah, it's gross. It's my belly button and it's gross. Ah. I've been waking up a lot with a, with a, like a, like a snore. Not like a, not like a full snore, but just like a mini snort. You know, like. And it's been happening if I have a nap or if I just wake up in the morning or any, like, time, three, four times. At night sometimes I'll just go and it wakes me up. It's not like a full snore, it's like a like a snort, like a Oh my god, snort is snort short for like short for sh a short snor snore? Oh my god, I'm just discovering this and like in the moment I'm being in the moment right now. A uh, snort would be Is that general knowledge that like a snort is a mini as a short snore? If not, well, what a coincidence. Maybe the world is ending. I discovered a way that you can make any man seem unmanly, the, the manliest and toughest of man. Um, tell him something shocks. Okay, this is, okay, all right. How could I explain this without, see, I have all these ideas that I want to talk about off the top, and they're so clear in my head, and then I turn the mics on, and I'm like, ha, 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 ha. Okay, you could take the manliest... Okay, if you want to make any man look like a pussy, uh, have like a wire or something hanging and just say that it mildly shocks you if you touch it and get anybody walking by to try to touch it. And you'll see the toughest guy... Like it's... You, this happened to me recently. The, um, there was a wire sticking out and a buddy of mine's like, ah, like fuck, that shocked me. He's like, touch it. I'm like, no way. You can't. He's like, come on, touch it. And then we got like two or three other people gathered around. I'm like, come on, you touch it. He's like, no, fuck that shit. You, you do it first. And we're grown men around this mini wire. And it's not even a, uh, like a big shock. It's just like, um, you know. I'll, I'll write these out better for you uh, in better, more detail. Oh, and... Uh, let me do this. Let me do a little backlog catalog rewind. This one going back to episode uh, 29, I think. Doesn't matter. My guest, Johnny Guardhouse, uh, for this episode in the backlog catalog rewind. Uh, awesome. Oh, actually, hold on, hold on. I got it here. I got it here. The specific number, because what's the point of plugging it if I don't have the right number? Episode number uh 30 from Tuesday, December 30th with uh, my guest comedian Johnny Guardhouse. Uh, check that episode out. It's a really good one. Johnny, I wanted to have on the podcast. A, he's very, very funny. I've known him for a long time. But B, he has this great story about in the 90s, him and three other comedians tricked the Jerry Springer show, called in and got on 
as I think it was something like, well, he tells the story in the podcast, but they, you know how when you watch Jerry Springer, or used to, I don't even know if that show's still on the air, but it would be like uh, right before, after commercials, commercial breaks is like, uh, it would be like, do you know somebody that slept with your babysitter? Well, if so, please call 1-800-96-JERRY. Uh, so they called and faked, lied the story about, they made up this story about something that they were looking for and eventually got through and actually got on the show. And they had to remain in character because believe it or not, the show was trying to have integrity. Yep. The Jerry Springer show was trying to, in fact, they almost got sued. They went to court and everything about lying and getting on the show. And they couldn't talk about it for years. And now it's been so long, uh, Johnny comes on the podcast and talks about it. But because of that, he ended up auditioning for SNL on the same day that Will Ferrell did. So it's a great interview. And uh, here's a clip. So backlog, catalog, rewind. We go back to episode number 30. Which aired on, was really, uh, released on Tuesday, December 30th. Yeah, juliandion.com um, archives or something like that. That's that's a great story, man. Do you, looking back now, are you glad you did that? Yeah. Yeah, man. I wish, I, like, if I could go back in time, I wish I had been more prepared for the post. Right. Springer. Uh, right. I mean, so much happened after the fact that I'm not, completely proud of but i'm 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 glad i got the opportunity it's like i, I auditioned for uh because directly because of the show uh mad tv saturday night live are you fucking yeah, serious absolutely yeah and that's a little part of my life i don't talk too much about because i wasn't ready at all right it was always a dream of mine to 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 audition for saturday night live uh but i wasn't i wasn't ready i wasn't ready at all i, well, I wanted to have at least a few so, more years under my belt uh, doing stand-up at least right so okay well i know you say you don't usually talk about it but let's let's get into it so you get a, a call from SNL and Mad TV. Well, Mad TV was first, okay, and they flew us down to New York. Me, um, right? Uh, and uh, <laughs> here's the thing: I, I mean, I got in there, and I'll never forget. I was sitting next to Artie Lang, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm going over these sketches. The you know, the, like the audition, and I'm, I mean, I'm now this is the first time in a long time I'm freaking out about auditions, and I'm just like, oh, fuck, all right. What's the format of a Mad TV audition? Sketches. They give you right. some 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 sketches. Um, and you're going in with somebody else, the partner. I thought I, I, I'm going in with Artie Lang, right? Like I was like, I've heard about this guy, mm-hmm. funny dude. Um, so f- go in, it's just me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is weird. And the whole room, all these producers, all they want to do is talk about Springer because it's it's in the press, right? And they want to talk about this show and how, and you know, much like the story I just told you, we were in there. I, we talked for half an hour at least, and it was like talking about the show and all the fucking stuff that happened, and how fucked up it is. And, laughing it was great and then i'll go thanks for coming man and i was like uh, what <laughs> what like you just want to hear the story and i'm like what about the audition and it was like oh yeah right yeah right right okay uh, so they brought in Ernie lang and we're doing it was horrible right and right. and so that happened and they kept already in the room They're like well thanks you know enjoy your day in new york and uh you know i'm still kind of riding that one like i guess it was fun Right. Um, okay. I made them laugh. I thought I made the story made them laugh, so maybe this could work out. And then about two weeks later, the woman who had uh, uh, Pam Thomas, she did stuff for SNL, but also cast, did some casting work for for Mad TV, like the biggest rival. Anyway, I think she felt bad, and so she got me in there for SNL through my agent at the time. They were tight. 
And there it is. So go back and listen to that episode. Also, I got an email saying that uh, two of the backlog catalog rewinds I didn't, I, I did weren't actually up. Uh, so those are up now. Okay, so they should be. I mean, what's the point of doing that if, um, yeah, they're not up? Okay. Also, this coming Friday, which will be the twenty eighth, I believe. Let me get the date right. Yeah, Friday, August 28th for the next episode uh, with my guest, Mark James Heath. Great episode coming up. I'm going to be dropping uh, some new Scamming the Scammers where I turn the table on CRA scammers. It's been a big surge. I talked about this in the reboot episode and played a little preview. While the segment is officially launching on Friday, so tune back in. Here's the jingle uh, for that. It's kind of like a got a PSA vibe, so uh, look forward to that. This Friday, August 28th, um, Scamming the Scammers, and here's the jingle. Every day that goes by, Telephone scammers are stealing your peace, stealing your money. But together we can stop this abuse. Please help the JDCH free the people. Please pick up the phone now and help us fuck these fucking fucks. So there it is. Listen to that on Friday. Uh, that's it for me for now. I'm going to go nurse this uh, mild fever, achy feeling that I have and uh, enjoy my chat with my good buddy, very funny comic and talented. Enjoy my chat now with Dom Parade. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose, sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy hour. All right, fuckers, let's do this. <laughs> to the girl at the mall with dreadlocks for hair. Does the carpet match the drapes? Mm. Does cuff match collar? Mm. Cause if it does, gross. <laughs> Take a shower. Hygiene is important. Next joke. What's white, black, and Asian? Panda bear. You're welcome. If I were a wrestler, I would name myself AIDS. Because no one beats AIDS. It's true. That's a fact right there. I was at a bar with some friends of mine. And these ladies walked by, quite attractive, and my buddy pointed one out and went, Oh! I'd like that lady except, uh, Butterface. I was like, what did you just say? He's like, Butterface. You don't know this? Butterface, her face. Butterface, her face. I was like, okay, okay. I get it. I have rules like that too, you know? You're like, oh man, what a hot mom over there except, uh, Butter Lazy Eye. <laughs> What a sweet lady over there, except uh, butter herpes. <laughs> or I'd like that hot mama, except uh, butter has a dick. <laughs> 
Sorry to be so picky, ladies, all right? I'm sorry to be so picky, me and my high standards. I just like my women like I like my coffee. Hot, sweet, no dick. <laughs> Seriously. That's a problem we all have. Come on. Two sugars hold the dick, please, every single time. They old dick in my coffee, you know? Grande bold coffee sauce dick a please. I think that's Italian, I'm a genius. Oh my goodness. Welcome to the real world. All right, and that, of course, that you just heard there performing, stand-up comedies, is uh, a dear friend, very talented uh, guy, as you just heard there. Uh, you've uh, heard this guy before. He's been all over the place. He tours nationally with Yuck Yucks. He's been to the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival, and uh, he holds the record in Toronto for the person that for the most sets in a week. Yeah. Wait, which number? What's the number? It was forty. Forty sets in seven nights. Uh, here in the city of Toronto. My dear friend Dom Perret sits in Lemon Press Studios. How are you, bro? I'm all right. Uh, the, what what clip did you play of me? Because I'm not sure if I was funny to these people yet. Uh, I don't know. We haven't selected. This is the magic of post. Haven't selected it oh, yet. okay. And we can decide after. Uh, or as long as it's not that Gravitron f- bit. Forget that. Okay, the Gravitron <laughs> bit is out. We'll do the Ferris wheel one. The anal sex thing gone. Gone. I should just spend the front end of this podcast whittling down yeah. every clip right. to the point you have nothing to air. It's just dead silence. So how you been, man? It's been a while. You and I uh, go back to the Ottawa days. Yeah. Uh, you're from Ottawa, right? Sort of. I'm a military kid, so like that's where I ended up staying the longest, and then I moved to Toronto. But well, where, you, where were you born? Uh, Lar, Germany. Oh no way! Your dad was in Lar. Yeah, he was. What uh, years? Because my dad was in Lar. Well, I was born in '77. Okay. So he'll he'll have been around probably or like I think he was there a couple of years before that. It's so probably seventy five or something like that. Eat the mic a little bit. Okay. Seventy five, okay. My dad was there from sixty seven to seventy one. Uh or something. Yeah. Sixty seven to seventy one for four. What was years. he like military or something? Air Force he he went first uh, his first round he was army uh for a year and then he came back and then went Air Force and then w- went back to Lar. And, yeah, uh, my dad was Air Force, but that's weird to switch between Army and Air Force. Yeah, yeah, he, like, j- he just did Army for a little bit, and then he switched to Air Force. I can't, I'll, I don't know, maybe I'll have him in studio someday so he can explain himself, Jerry. <laughs> um, your dad was Air Force too? Yeah. Fuck, yeah. I, I wonder if, if uh, they would know each other, because it's such a... Maybe, I mean, my dad ended up going pretty high up. He went as high as you can go without being a commissioned officer. It was like Master Chief Warrant awesomeness, I have no idea, but he like... He w- he really went to the top. So, yeah, if your dad was in it for any length of time, he probably knows who my dad is. I mean, my dad at some point w- his job was uh, to go to different bases and decide people's career path, and, like just reorganize the whole. What's base. your dad's name? Uh, Jean Pierre Paré. Shit, I'll definitely run that by my dad. Well, my dad was in for I think ten years total, so not not that long. Oh, ah, okay. Um, but he would still. I mean, from then he went. As a civilian, he worked for bases for the Department of National Defense until he retired. So he was kind of still at that capacity, like he had a foot in the door, but yeah, yeah. A, as a civilian, but no longer doing the uh, the uniform thing. All right, that's interesting. Was he strict, your dad, having the military background? Yeah, I mean, like he was, he demanded discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, he wouldn't accept excuses. You're not like. Um, 
you're not going to get away with like, oh, I'm just not good at math. You know, like, right. like, he, like, he expected A's. He just expected improvement. He expected that you'd actually apply yourself. So, What about cleanliness? Uh, I don't know. I, he made me yeah. shower. <laughs> he made me shower, Julian. It's funny because my dad had the military background but was the least strict of my parents because <laughs> my mom was super religious mm. and religion trumps... She's not religious anymore? Oh, yeah. No, she is super oh, religious. Okay. So like, I'd be more curious about that change. Like, and then just one day, I just said, fuck it. I'm out. No, <laughs> like, it actually... She becomes more religious with each passing uh, day. Yeah. You know what's weird is my grandmother was really religious, but as soon as she passed away, the family just gave up religion. It was I just, thought you were going to say, as oof. soon as she passed away, she wasn't religious anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't matter. It was weird after that, actually. <laughs> Her so, last words were, I regret it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, well, that's interesting. So the whole the whole family just kind of... Yeah, because I mean, they're Roman Catholic, right? So, like, mm-hmm. my dad's name, it actually is Joseph Jean-Pierre Paré, because, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I think every every girl is named Mary, yep. and uh, every every boy is named Joseph. Uh, but, like, it was like, you know, they had to do, like, your Paul Bearer, Paul Bearer, I don't think that's the right thing, but, like, whatever, like, uh, you know, one of those kids at church and all that stuff, they had to, like, sing, being part of the choir. Oh, and, like an like, uh, uh, altar boy. Yeah, exactly. Because right. Paul, Paul Bearer is like, yeah, they had to carry dead bodies day in and day out for the church. <laughs> like, that's horrible. I'd want to leave. But, yeah, he did all that. And then, uh, and then at our own household, we wouldn't really, like, do religion. It wasn't a big thing. But if my grandmother was visiting, we'd have to go to church with her. Right. And then, like, when she passed away, it was just, like, poof. Like, the whole culture of religion in our family just vanished. And, like, no one even thinks about church or God anymore. And just, we were just kind of holding it up for just for her. Right, so you know, we loved her, but we we're like, you're you're kind of crazy on this God thing, you know. And so, where are you at with that now? With God, I don't, I don't. Because I remember I you doing a bit about the Pope uh, when you came by. Say what when you were doing your forty sets in one week thing? Did I? Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was kind of anti, anti religion, anti. Do you believe in anything at all? Are you um, atheist? I don't. I don't. I I I think the cop out there is to say you're agnostic. Right, but I think that's kind of the right description for me, because I don't really believe in the uh, the the I don't know the organized religion. But I'm not also one of those guys like a Bill Maher who's like I'm so pissed off at this religion thing. Yeah, he's almost too like he's yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of these dudes who like they say it really well, and you know, like your Ricky Gervais, and like they're all like these AC atheist types, and I'm like that's fine too. I just I just can't invest in. I mean, I'll, I'll, they've kind of just, they went from one extreme to the other, you know? Mm. Like, it's like, yeah, religious people who are really religious are just, they're kind of just as weird to me as the people who are, are, are not religious, who are like super atheists. Like, you know, remember Dave McConnell in Ottawa? I was like, half of this dude's Facebook statuses till this date still will be like, you unfollow me on Facebook if you believe in any sort of religion. And I'm like, just, dude, turn it down. Like, yeah. yeah so I, I don't, I'm not that. I think there's definitely something more to the world uh, than we just perceive on a daily basis, you know? Um, I, I made that choice. Actually, when I first visited Toronto with my friend Sean, and we were, uh, like, what you could do is you could rent out a dorm room at the Toronto University. So, like, in the summer, because they didn't have kids, you could, like, instead of getting a hotel room, you could just rent one of these dorm rooms out. And we were there, and we'd walked around Toronto all day, and we were supposed to go to some concert in Barrie the next day. But my buddy Sean, his feet were like killing him, and he was just like hobbling around, and we were smoking cigars outside because it was really hot in the room. And they were like filming a movie, so every car that pulled away, there was a guy who was just standing there to put down pylons, and he was just killing time. 
So we ended up just playing like cards with this guy outside while just talking and smoking cigars. And uh, then his boss came to relieve him on break and Sean went up to get a Coke and he came back down and he was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. I don't, like, I don't know if I can go to this concert tomorrow. My feet are killing me. And he's like hobbling around. But this guy, this boss who just showed up to replace his employee, uh, he just looks at him and he goes, and he doesn't touch him. He just goes, just stand there for a moment. And he just puts his hands up. And then Sean looks at me and he goes, dude, my feet don't hurt anymore. Seriously? And it was just the weirdest. And he just explained this, humbly explained this idea of energy being able to be sort of uh, substituted with positive and negative forces. And he just basically was like, I took some of your negative energy into me because I have excess positive. And now my feet he was hurt. sort of explaining all of this, you know, and, right. but it, it, to me, I was like, there could be, he didn't try to, he didn't try to apply religion to it. He didn't try to take anything from us. He didn't try to force any right view on Just us kind of like a quantum physics it's approach. a guy i've trusted my entire life he's still my best friend to, to like this day and there was no interaction there was like uh, there'd be no point for one but when i when i when i talked to him about it and i'm like he's like he just felt it go away and i'm right. like okay well there's something else out there then because like you know this is basically a, my, my buddy's like a super nerdy like loves computers and flies those drone helicopters and tests out new batteries and updates his phone all the time like He's a super sciencey nerd, and he would never have even believed in that kind of stuff, and then it happened to him. So I'm like, there's something. I don't know what it is. Sometimes I think it's like, because obviously I do stand up, but like sometimes I think you can feel if you're really pushing yourself in stand up. I think you can feel there's a line that's like where you end and the audience begins, and sometimes mm -hmm. that's just sort of it. Just feels like there's an energy wake in the room. You can feel that line. I think that's what you're when you're doing the best is when you're actually riding that line directly. But that's, I don't know what that is. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really going to be like, you know, that, that feeling you get when you tell a really good dick joke to a room, that's God. <laughs> like, I don't think that God really comes into it, but I think there's like more energy that exists than I think we perceive on a regular basis, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. Let's, let's talk about <clears throat> the dick jokes. So when I make, met you back in Ottawa, uh, it was back in the day where the Albert Club was was still a thing. You were in sales, I think, and you were doing comedy. Always, always funny from uh, what I remember. But where, what, what drove you to the stage? Were, were you f filling some hole, or were you? Was it just, or did you just always want to make people laugh? Like, what made you? Because I'm always interested in what what makes people get up there initially. I, I, I always uh, like what I think you mean to ask me is why are you so good at this naturally and and uh, sure. it's just honestly I've just been I've just been such a cut up my whole life is <laughs> so lame well you, you, okay one of the first times I saw you you did this joke that I still quote and I don't think you do anymore which is a shame but it's uh, you would do an impression of an accountant oh, that may unsuccessful be gay. accountant who might be gay right yeah. unsuccessful could these you... numbers just don't add up and I think I want to fuck that guy. Yeah, that to me, I, I love that sort of shit. Do you still do that? By no, God, no. <laughs> I, honestly, there's some t some jokes start to look like uh, like you're putting on pants you used to wear in like you know right. elementary school, where you're like, yeah, okay, that's kind of funny, but it looks awkward. You're an adult now. But the reason I got in, I don't know. I mean, it's probably similar to everyone else. Is like you do get that feeling of making people laugh and you like it, and then you try to make the jump between making your friends laugh and making a larger audience laugh. But mm -hmm. I think the only reason I stuck with it was the first time I did it, I, I killed. I had like a really good six minute set that I'd like fixated on. Cause it was at the time at yucks, it was like, you'd sign up and then it'd be like a, a month until you were on that stage. So like it, 
it would just keep coming. It was like this looming thing. And the, like the two days before I actually did my first set, I was like in my basement, like drilling this shit out and looking at myself in the mirror and trying to hold a mic like this, like just try to get the mechanics of it down. And I did really, really well. Uh, and I say I killed with the context of knowing what killing feels like now. I know I killed my first set. And I also know that the second time I went on, because I was like, I figured this shit out. A month later, I went on with the same inf- like same material and bombed horribly. And I think that that's what kept me going, because I was immediately sort of entranced with, but why? Trying to figure like, it out. But why? Why was it great here and not here? And it's probably because they knew I was new or the nervous energy or like they were more forgiving as a crowd. And this time I came up with this, I've got this attitude and you bomb. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe the jokes didn't make sense and I just got lucky because they were a younger crowd the first time. But like all of this stuff just, I still, I threw that whole set out. Like I, I still remember jokes of it when I like, I just threw it all out and I wrote a whole new set. And I, I, I think, I think that's why I did it because it was just, uh, it, it was, it was just challenging in a way that you couldn't understand entirely why, Right, things didn't work, and like so much of stand up is bombing and learning from those bombs. But I, I don't know. I kind, I kind of like the process of it. I really do. I, uh, I did the same thing. Did two sets. I'm like, <sighs> I'm probably the best thing to happen to comedy. <laughs> so, and I hadn't told anybody really that I was doing it at that point. I just kind of wanted to make sure I had this. And for my third ever set, invited all my friends oh, come check it out. This is what I do now. <laughs> And of course, ate it like it was. It was at Yuck Yucks in Moncton, and it was so quiet. It was packed, and I remember feeling, "Oh, so this is bombing." Yeah, I got it. All yeah. right. And I remember my friends after coming up to me after they're like, "Yeah, it was very smart." I'm like, "I'm going for funny, like smart." Yeah, yeah you know, sure. I like that you didn't cry that much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but did I ever after? I invited my parents once, and it was uh, just before they uh, left Ottawa. And I'd been doing stand-up, but, like, I never invited them, right? And uh, then Howie, Howard Wagman. <laughs> Who was a guest on this podcast. Owner-operator of Yuck Yucks at Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> he he gave me, like, a $50 road gig, like, uh, as some sort of test, right? But I took it as, like, I made it. Yuck right, 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 right. Yuck Yucks is into me right now. And it was, like, someplace out near the airport. It was, like, a weird, like, it had Outback in the name, but it was, like, not a restaurant chain. It was just, like, Outback Knives and Weirdness, you know? <laughs> and I, I remember I brought my parents, like, uh, like they came out independently because I invited them. But I, I remember getting there and being like, oh, fuck. Because uh, when we got here, they, they were there, like, here's your green room. And it was just sort of a storage area where there was an old futon. And the futon was, like, covered in kids who were playing on the Nintendo. And I'm like, the bar staff basically was also using this as a babysitting thing, you know? And uh, the crowd was, like, rowdy. And I, I went on, and my parents watched me, and I fucking blew ass. I was the worst. I bombed super bad. Awkwardly, got heckled, couldn't deal with it at all. The MC, by the way, was Jason Lawrence, who now owns Absolute oh, Comedy. Wow. <laughs> uh, but the headliner was Alistair McAllister. And my parents, they were watching the show, like, basically fall apart. And, like, no one was doing particularly well. Uh, but they left just as Alistair McAllister was getting on stage and in the back, literally a guy went, what's up with this fucking nigger? <laughs> it's like, my parents are like hearing this and they're like, my dad's like, oh, okay, it's time to get out of here. 
but I'm like, what do they think my life is now? Like, what 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 do they think? Like, you surround yourselves with these low class people just so they can yell at you. <laughs> like, it must be scary. I mean, because even being a comic, if I had a kid, I would be terrified of the notion of them go- getting into it. But even more so, not knowing anything about the business, your kid choosing to do this, it must be just so fucking like, oh my god. When I jumped into comedy and it was like, this is gonna be my full time job. I'm gonna do this for a job. Like my dad. He didn't do as much as I thought he would, but he was like, you know, hey, look at the numbers here. The odds of you making it are pretty small. And I was like, I got to try or I'll just be annoyed with the rest of my life for not trying. And I think I'll yeah, I'll carry that around for a while. But he, he kind of let it go pretty quick where he's like, okay, well then, you know, it's, I think it's been four years now and I've just been doing stand-up. Mm. And he's like, still like, so... Uh, this Why aren't you in that? that new movie with Seth Rogen? You know, <laughs> like you just sort of <laughs> right, right. have the appreciation of success. Everyone is always like, Oh, stand up, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. But uh, have, have you have you ever tried to be in movies? You gone yeah. to L.A. yet? And I'm like, yeah, because L.A. just sort of like you just show up. That's that, but that that is people's perception. Like, oh, you do comedy, just be in movies. It's like, yeah, mm. okay. It's like a line out of Graham Chittenden's uh, web series where people are talking about him to go to L.A. and he's like, L.A. is not a business plan. It's a geography. It's just right, moving right. somewhere. It's right. another city. It doesn't actually change anything. You still have to crawl your way up to the top. You know. Back to that gig where your parents saw you. Did you get feedback from Howard? Because he's the worst for for like approval, especially uh, when you're new. Everybody seeks his approval. He's got this gatekeeper mentality. Oh yeah, and and uh, he's the worst for punishing you for a bad gig. I mean, someone that's been in the business so long should understand. There's going to be you, good. I'll tell you, uh, Howie never really. I mean, I think he, he probably once I showed up late for like an amateur night on a Wednesday, and he wouldn't let me on for whatever reason because I was late, you know, and mm-hmm. I should have let him know or something, but. I just the bus was late or something. I, I remember him being a dick for that kind of stuff. Uh, I didn't really go over my time that often, but it'd be a huge dick if you went over your time and he would just freeze you out for a month, maybe two. Uh, but he never really gave me shit on any road gigs, but I also learned as I did Yuck's Roads gigs, I learned this from Mike Beatty early on. Mike was like, when Howie asked how the show went, you tell him the same thing I'm going to tell him. Went great. That's Everyone trick had a of the great trade. time. No matter what. <laughs> yeah. And always. So I'd always say, great. Honestly, that killed it. Everyone just murdered it. And he, had, he could have an email being like, which one of these guys did this thing where they <laughs> like, and he's like, they said it was great. Right. <laughs> like, he just, he also didn't seem to be really attached to those people beyond their money. It was like a, like a single transaction of sorts. He didn't really have to worry about customer service. I think. Cause then Jason Lawrence came in and he started being like, let me poach all these gigs and take uh take less money for them right and then it'd be funny but like lauren's by far i would say was the worst for that um for like punishing I, comics maybe? yeah i bombed once on a a free show that he was trying to put together as a recurring thing uh at ottawa university like just on the outside of their campus and i just ate it and it's not that i wasn't doing my regular shit is like just offended one group of people i didn't expect because i used to have this joke about like uh Reader's Digest and how it only exists like in your dentist's office or whatever. But I was like, and they have the weirdest rankings, and they're like, you know, the, what's the number one day to spend with your family uh, in 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 a uh, in a year, and, or like the number one holiday? And I'd be like, number one day with a bullet is Christmas. And then I'd be like, but don't worry, Mother's and Father's Day fans, they're they've both tied for best day to mock an orphan. And this fucking kid was like, oh. <laughs> and his friend's like, it's okay, it's all right. And he's he's adopted, he's an orphan, and he's crying, and he's like second row, and his friends are like really attentive to him. And I'm like, I'm now bombing because you just hate me for making your friend cry. 
but I also didn't. How do you how do you tell a guy? How do you tell if you're an orphan? And also, fuck you. Have a sense of humor about it. You knew you were an orphan for a long time. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not teaching. Unless you this. this just happened to you. Like if you're like, I just realized these are not my parents. <laughs> like like he just got the news. Fine, but I bombed. And uh, Jason Lawrence. Uh, he wouldn't book me for another 10 months. He wouldn't. And I had to like have a head-to-head with him where I was like, what the fuck? Because he used to book me all the time for a lot of stuff. And he was like, well, that one time you bombed. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I bombed once. I've never bombed before that. I consider that an amazing record. And he was like, well, you bombed that one time. I just can't let it go. And then I listed off four times he'd bombed in the time that I was on tour with him. And he's like, well, that's different. That's different. That's different. So we ended up having to argue. So he, he eventually booked me again. But I was like. Literally one bomb froze me out of almost a whole year of work with that guy. Right. I was like, this is just the weirdest shit. But like, Howie would never be like, Howie might talk to you, but he wouldn't be like, and now I turn the taps off and you're just dead, you know? Well, that actually did happen to me. A little bit. I mean, some of it, I may be reading into it too much and it might just been the way things felt. But I did this gig one time in Alexandria with um, John Hastings and, uh, oh God, Who's that comic? He was like a, a tiny black man. He now lives in Vancouver. Um, he was from Montreal. Oh, Quazy? Yeah, Quazy. Yeah. So it was... <laughs> I think the tiny black man, you know? <laughs> Me Just and Quazy. Tiny little black guy. <laughs> well, he is. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I guess he's shorter, yeah, but I just never considered him. He's like, you know, this tiny little black... <laughs> like, we'd have to bring him to the gig in our pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and so I can't remember who was supposed to headline. There was a headliner that was booked on the show, and we were just all doing time. Quasi was hosting, and uh, headliner canceled when we were on the way to the gig. Uh-huh. I was a year and a half in. Yeah, yeah. So Howard calls me. He's like, "You were supposed to do fifteen. You're gonna have to do thirty or thirty-five or whatever." And I remember that leap in your mind when you're that new. It just was That's like, startling because 15, you're already stretching your seven. Exactly. You, know? you look at it that way. And if he's going, I need 35, and all you're doing in your head is uh, pulling together every joke that you have, not even jokes that work, just every joke Everything. you have. And Any then going, I hope had. this, uh, hope uh, crowd work works out. And then you try crowd work and it'll fall apart because you're nervous. Yeah. And then you're just going to try to rifle through your jokes and just that shame, that shame sweat that finds your face and like, the heat that you feel on your cheeks as you and your body slowly falling in on itself. Yeah. And then at the end of it, Howard being like, well, what did you do? Exactly. <laughs> and I remember starting the show and, and I got there. So I got the call on the way to the gig. So I get there super nervous already thinking, all I'm thinking about is the time, the time, the time, the time. Instead, and Hastings told me this after, he's like, he didn't focus on the time. He didn't have the 30, 35 either, but he was just like, I'm just going to go with my, all of my stuff that I have and have the best possible time I can with that. Hopefully it'll stretch. If it doesn't, whatever. And he ended up killing and I ended up bombing because all I was thinking of is fill the time, fill the time. And I started strong with like the first three minutes. And then I realized in my head, oh yeah, I have to do like 27 more of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just ate it and tried to stretch, tried to do crowd work, came back in my act. I would throw in any humorous thought that I've had in the past, just like, <laughs> hey, this could be a thing. And I just remember eating it so bad. And I remember Howard mentioning it, like, because I sat down with him, I was trying to get more work. And he's like, well, what about Alexandria? He's like, I heard I heard it didn't go so well that night. I'm like, well, no, obviously. He does, did he ever do that thing to you where you try to get work from him? And he, he'd like point at a folder on his wall. And he's like, a lot of names in that folder, a lot of squeaky wheels. 
And there was never, by the way, anything in that folder. He was all on email at this point, but he, <laughs> it was a thing that he did in the 80s, I'm sure, a lot, where he's like, look at that, a lot of names in there, a lot of comics. And now it's just a dusty folder, but he'd always be like, there's a lot of squeaky wheels, buddy, a lot of squeaky yeah. wheels. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, all right, anyway, look, no one's going to do this gig for 50 bucks, all right? <laughs> like, so just give it to me anyway. But yeah, he he's I don't know. He's a, he's a, I I'd say this cuz he's a complicated man and I think I think he'd get it. Uh I don't think he's ever liked what I did comedically. I think he knows that it works for his audiences, but he is absolutely what he'd describe a purist. Right. And uh that just means he likes certain styles of comedy really that he views as pure. But uh Well, well how would you D- decipher or differ your thing from a pure I mean you, what you do is well, pure stand up it's not like you're doing like ventriloquism a, up there this is more like um, like he likes Henny Youngman you know he's right. like this old Jewish comedian who's like part of the you know the Friars Club and stuff like that like he, he likes older comedy that's literally like hey set up set up punchline misdirect set up punchline tag 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 you know right, like right, more okay. pure in its format in the formula. whereas I I would literally do a, you know uh, this is my impression of an unsuccessful accountant that might be gay. Big laugh, and then Howard would look at it and go, "Why does that even work?" Right. You know, and it's just it's an easy juxtaposition. But he he'd be like, "It's like that's not it's it's anti the rhythm of what he appreciates the most in comedy." So I'll find, but like you know, I'd I'd always kind of find myself pushing against him to get bookings and proving myself over and over again. But I mean, at, at a certain point, you stop caring to prove yourself but yeah. for that for that that time period it was like I think a lot of people could get bitter to Howard because he was the gatekeeper mm-hmm. uh, but I mean as time went on it's like this, you just realize he's one of many gatekeepers and you just move the fuck on there's so many doors to knock on in this fucking yeah. game and yeah. like some of them are permanently locked just stop kicking at them you know that's right and Howard, I, Howard at this point is a guy I email maybe once a year and go I'd like to do your club. And then he emails me with, call me. And then I call him and he goes, I'm busy. <laughs> and then I have to email him anyway. That's yeah. such a Howard loop. No, no, call me. Right. You call him way busy right now, buddy. Yeah, and then, this is a bad time. Then he puts you on hold and then you come back and he's like, going to have to talk to you later. Just send me an email with the dates and you just send the same dates again. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who was around when you started in that legendary club, the Albert Street? The Albert Street Yucks. Uh, First comic who said hi to me and my friend when I walked in the door was Ben Miner. Mm-hmm. What? So what year did you start? I don't know. That's actually always been. I think I've been doing this for like eleven years. Mm-hmm. I think I'm. I can safely say eleven, and I don't want to be chopping years off. But I think I started and and kept going, and it's been eleven since I started. I think, but maybe not. But uh, I mean, it, it'll probably become like a date you can track because. Uh, I started essentially when John Doerr was on his way out already. Like, he'd gotten that Canadian Idol thing. Uh, Tracy McDonald had just won, like, the Star Search thing. Like, right. like she like she hadn't just won it, but it was like, she wasn't in Ottawa anymore because of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So they'd kind of moved on. And, uh, like, that's who I met first was Ben Miner. And then it was uh, Steve Dillon. Yeah. Or, or Steve Patterson. Steve Patter Dillon, whatever. Him, Rick Zubricki, York Sikora. Charlie Ayub, those are like the better amateur dudes that were pushing themselves up to paid work at the time. And then you had your, uh, you know, your standards, your Don Kellys, your Wafik Nazarellas, your Mike Beatties. Uh, it's kind of like, it was a small community, if you really think about it. I mean, that was back, yeah, it was a great community. And that's, that's back in the OCR days. Yeah, Ottawa Rick, Comedy Resource. Rick Callbars, that is <laughs> OCR. I, I started. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just don't remember how dumb that was. And then uh, it was just I still I still remember that because uh, this is before I even did it. But like uh, Wafik Nazrella used to flame that board as yeah, another Dick name called name Dick Cranium, and he just announced it one day when he was drunk. He's like, "I am Dick Cranium," <laughs> and people did not care. They were like, "What? What are you talking about? It's five years past." Because <laughs> he would go on there and insult people, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember uh, people like Vince Aldrich? Remember mm-hmm. him? Just mm-hmm. this big, fat, fucking drunk. <laughs> like, yeah. And he'd just snore like a motherfucker. Yeah. He's, but he's one of the guys, honestly, there's so many dudes who, who would show up like him and just be ingratiated and do well within a year and then look at the time that you're going to have to put in to actually make it a career and they go, no, I'm out. He went and sold cars and then he went and sold life insurance. And who was that other guy, like really thin guy, like kind of looked like Bill McIntosh put on... Drugs. Well, correction. Bill McIntosh on like harsh or drugs. Oh God! Uh, I know exactly who you're talking about. I don't remember his name because he used to ride around uh, the town in the weirdest bike where he had like right. it was like a like an easy rider motorcycle, but as a bike, like just a regular bicycle. And people kept stealing it, but it was so identifiable that you couldn't keep it. You know. What the hell was that guy's name? It'll come to me anyway. But he was crazy, dude. Because like he would show up periodically, and then uh, Brad Lyons. Yes. He'd show up periodically, kill, get paid for whatever opening spot, and then just drink himself into a hole or do drugs or whatever, and then disappear, disappear. for nine months, and then come back, and then kill again, and then disappear again. And you'd see him kind of like, I remember seeing him just randomly, like you wouldn't see him in the clubs anymore, and then you'd randomly see, I saw him painting a, a fence somewhere downtown, just like, oh shit, that's Brad Lyons, just like yeah, picking up odd the odd one. job, doing the, but, but again, one of those guys were just, Gets the job done on stage. Yeah. It's almost like... And it's actually, it's funny because Howard was one of the guys who used to work him the most. And then and Yucks really worked him quite a bit. And then the problem with the uh, alcohol really hit. And then they, they couldn't rely on him to show up to shows. And then eventually it was just Howard working him. And then eventually it was like, he might show up periodically, but Howard would... He kind of exhausted all the guilt he had for... Or pity, I suppose, for this guy. So he, right. he eventually wouldn't put him on, and then he went to Absolute, and then eventually Jason Lawrence had to be like, "This guy, you can't depend on him to show up." So right. he just faded off the scene entirely. You know, it's kind of like hard living makes it better for them because they just don't give a fuck on stage. Like, who cares? They they could care less. Yeah, about and they're not really trying to approval. impress anyone. Right. There's there's actually um, there was a a place I think I think it was called Hole in the Wall or something like that or whatever, but. It doesn't exist anymore in Ottawa. Now it's like some fancy restaurant called Standard or something. But it used to be this smaller venue that had a stage. Live bands used to play there. But I think Rick Kalbar started it. But he started an open mic there. But it was in the, it was on Elgin. It was like around one of the sketchier areas of it where there were like homeless people and stuff. And they were like asking for change. But there was one dude... He uh, used to play uh, like a guitar, but he'd put a coffee cup on the, the end of his arm. He's still around that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he uses it as a slider because he's missing yeah. the bottom part of his arm there. But he one day he was like standing out in front of this open mic thing, and he's like, "What the fuck's going on here?" And we're like, "Oh, it's an open mic." And he's like, "You get paid?" And we're like, "Uh, in a beer." And he's like, "Can I go on?" And we're, like honestly, we we're just like, "Sure, we want to see what happens," you know. And he went on and murdered. <laughs> he just really? murdered. He just stood there and made observations about people going to and coming back that from guy, work. The, cup, the teacup guy yeah. I mean, did stand up? He did like five or six minutes that just was actually fucking hilarious and hyper-observational. And he was just criticizing Ottawa 
government workers going to and from work versus people that were on IT, and you could tell the difference by their shoes and the way they walked, and he did impressions of it. And we were like, holy fuck, this guy actually has an act. Like, it's ba it's based on just his observations of so many people while being on the street all day, but it's an honest thing, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think about him. Because as soon as he was done, we were like, holy shit, and we're like, yeah, I'll get up for that guy. And he's like, uh, so what kind of beer can I get? <laughs> <laughs> And then we gave him a beer, and off he went. Like, that was it. I saw that guy He never last came year. back. He never did another set. We were like, you could do well at this. Like, Just wanted a beer. Peace. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I saw that guy last year. Uh, I was doing the club, yucks, at the time. And uh, I was outside with somebody smoking a joint. I can't remember who. And he came by, and he's like, oh, that smells good. Can I get a hit off of that shit? So I just gave him the rest. I didn't yeah, want yeah, it yeah. back after. Yeah. And so gave him, like, the little roach. And he took like a quarter of a hit and proceeded to cough. I thought he was going to drop dead right there. He had to sit down and just kept coughing, like rocking back and forth and coughing. Wow. And we just kind of walked away. It was insane. You know what? Like, I, I I'd almost think that's his game where he's like, uh, now I have that coughing fit so they don't ask for the joint back. Right. They maybe think there's something wrong with me or something wrong with that joint, but I'm going to get this joint. And you could just be standing there like, yo, bro, no, really. You could have had the rest of that. You don't have to do this whole act. Yeah. Um, so you And you cut your teeth in Ottawa for the better part of your 11 years. Oh, yeah. Uh, you moved to Toronto like, what, five years ago? Yeah, I think I'm five now. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even realize that till someone was talking to me about it. And I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's that's probably true. I think it's five now. And how'd you find... It seems like it went by so fast. Yeah, I remember when you moved here. Well, I mean, I wasn't here, but I just remember... Yeah, yeah. Me and John Hastings showed up within like a week of each other. Right. Without any knowledge of each other moving here either. How did you find... Because some, some young comics listen to this podcast. How did you find going from a big fish in a small pond to just kind of the, the mecca that is Toronto for, for stand-up in this country? I... uh. I'd recommend it. Mm -hmm. I'd highly recommend it because honestly, you're not going to grow in a smaller market. Um, I mean, it, you can still grow, but honestly, you're just you're just pushing you're pushing against less resistance. Whereas uh, when I came here, uh, it was harder to get on shows because you had to prove yourself uh, and you had to kind of get recommended into a lot of these shows. But there were shows you could go on where I'd be like, I would follow Rob Pugh and Aaron Berg, and then it'd be me. And mm -hmm. I'd have to like figure out how to do that, or I'd have to follow Dave Mirage, who was like at the time like just murdering these open mics and hitting up all of them, and he he was just uh, so energetic and visceral. You'd have to like figure out how to follow that kind of energy, but it makes you better, it makes you try bigger chances. And then I, I honestly I didn't I made a point in myself mentally that I didn't want to go back to Ottawa, like I did once. Yeah, I, I did once for whatever reason I can't remember. And then once I went back for club work at Absolute, because it was before I signed with Yucks again, because I was going to go do Just for Laughs, and then I just froze out Ottawa entirely, because I didn't want to go backwards, because what happened with Ottawa, I've seen a lot, and it still happens, is people are like, I'm going to go to Toronto, and Toronto's going to open its arms, and it's going to love me, I'm fucking great. And then you know, within a year, you're yo-yoed back and forth, and you're just like, I've just got to acknowledge that I preferred being a big fish in a small pond, you know? Right. But if, if you're coming at it from the perspective of younger comic, you're like, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. Well, and you've evolved a lot in this city because uh, I think, am I wrong to think at first, it took you a little bit to start going out and, and kind of, because you had a day job, right, when you first moved here? When I first got here, I didn't go out really for about the first two months. Like I did maybe a week doing it. Then I started a job and I was like, I got to get this job thing going. And then once I had that, I came back. But I came back so rusty. It was weird. Two months off is like, for me, it really actually like 
I, I, I had moments where I got on stage and I was like, oh, fuck, am I even funny anymore? Whatever I had, is it just gone now? And it took me like a month to get out of that hole and mm. then be funny again and then fight your way onto various stages. And I, I got lucky and got into Just for Laughs, so it kind of fast-forwarded my entry to a lot of things. And then other people have just recommended me in, like, like uh, well, like Tim, who was here earlier, we bumped into each other, but when uh, when Tim Rabnett, uh, or, or, well, Zoe Rabnett now, but when she uh, went to Montreal, uh, she recommended me to Joanna Downey, who then put me into Spirits. Well, uh, I remember I brought you to Spirits, too, and introduced yeah, you yeah. to Joanna. That, that... She got me into Eaton House and Spirits, and then because I was on those rooms, it was like a domino effect where you could get on the Rivoli right. now. And yeah, that was like annoying. It was like, because you, you, it does annoy you as a young comic because you're like, why don't they see I'm amazing right now? And you're like, yeah, but there's like literally a hundred dudes who are amazing in this city. Right. And 50 of them have paid their dues for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So like they kind of supersede you in relationship and, and you know, maybe they're not going to do as well as you, but also to them, they're like, this is where I fuck around. Uh, it, to you, this is like, you know, spirits for me. It was like, I've got to kill this room if I ever want to come back. And then uh, it comes to a point where you're like, oh, I'll, I'll gamble. Right. Because I'll always come back. Because they're always going to have me back. Because I've been here for so long, you know. But it just takes a while. And honestly, that's the same. I think it's the same pyramid, the same pursuit, sure. the same upward mobility challenge in any market you go to. Because as I push out into the States now, because I know you, you did New York and then came back. But I'm like, I'm not trying to get into New York. But I'm just trying to do gigs in the States, you know. Right. And I find that like whatever calling card I leave, they're still like, no, oh, we're not really sure about this. I mean, uh, who are you? Uh, what have you done for me lately? You mm. know? And uh, I have to prove myself all over again. I, I'll get chances and like, they'll have me feature or middle or whatever. And then I'll bury their headliner and they'll be like, Oh shit. Okay. We want you to be a headliner. And then you go to their booking agent and they're like, they're booked 10 months in advance. And you're just standing in line forever. Like just trying to fight your way through this resistance. And it's like, Every market I've been in, when I started in Ottawa, you fight your way up there, you fight your way up in Toronto, and I fight my way up in the States. Uh, no one really ad- appreciates how fucking hard it is to fight your way through all this stuff, yeah. and there's not really a lot of shortcuts you can take unless you're, I mean, in Canada, unless you're, like, gorgeous and, like, multicultural and hilarious at the same time, you're not going to get a fast-forward because otherwise... But even then, uh, people like that, that do get fast-forwards, then you just can't deliver because there is no shortcut in just getting up a million times and doing it. Yeah, there's no shortcut to just experience. It's it's funny because I was talking to my brother, and he's a professional poker player, and he's like, look, you can explain the game of poker to people and then even go to the next level and explain some of the math around it. But at a certain point, it becomes the experience of time in in poker where you read how the game is performing, but you've also gotten used to the psychology, how you're playing versus how they're playing, what's likely to happen, the mitigation of of, uh, bad luck and good luck, essentially. There's sort of like a gray area in the math, but he's like, it's never, there's never a point where you can just, a computer could do this, you know? There's always a point because the math is so complex that your own ego enters into it and your Mm -hmm. own experience enters into it. And you, you you only gain the ability to monitor your ego and, and leverage your experience by going through, like, just paying, essentially, to fail. Right. And that that's sort of the beginning of stand-up. Because for him, he's like, to do 10,000 hands for me to learn that these strategies do or do not work, I had to lose. So I had to pay to learn. And, and you know, when you look at uh, stand-ups when they start, we're not getting a dime, you know? So we're, like, we're paying in time in that moment and effort. 
but we're paying to learn. You're paying to learn every single time and every level you go up, you're essentially paying to learn. You have to keep investing in yourself and hoping that other people see it. But there is no shortcut because if you didn't pay to learn and you get there and you're like, I hope this works, it's not going to work. Right. It just doesn't, it doesn't fly. There's a lot of people who can get away with it because you just become a host or something like that. But you, if you can't consistently pop off and be funny and be a product that can be sold again, it just sort of fizzles and goes away. We've seen a lot of those where they're like, this guy's amazing. Where is he? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a lot of like dudes who came out of nowhere and they went to nowhere. And I, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird to try to tell new guys like this. I, I say it all the time. And I'm like, none of this matters. Like, what what big issue that happened this week? The whatever polo, politics that you have with the community, none of it matters. It just doesn't matter. It like, just within, doesn't matter. Within five years, you won't even remember that these people existed. Like, yeah, and a lot of them won't within the business mm-hmm. exist. Um, all right, man. Let's do this. Let's take a little break. Uh, we're gonna do a segment with uh, comedian Jen Grant here in studio um but uh, let's take a short one drop an ad and uh we'll be back with uh mr dominic Paré. Ooh, that's funky yeah this episode of the julian dion comedy hour podcast is brought to you yet again by echo one photography toronto gta listeners if you're an actor musician business person, anybody really, a comedian, anybody that needs headshots, well, look no further. Go to Echo One Photography. They'll give you some damn good shots, whether it's for promotional use, for, well, I guess, yeah, that's what you use headshots for. Or if you own a small business and need uh, product photography for e-commerce or advertising purposes, look no further. Echo One Photography will do that. So email Eugene, my buddy Eugene, that's E-U-G-E-N-E at echoonephotography.com. Enter JDCH in the subject line for special offers. This guy's top-notch. This is top-level shit, everybody. Do it. Do it today. Maybe you can try to guess. Okay, we're back now with uh, with okay. uh, Dom Perret and Jen Grant, and it's time now for another installment of Are You Mariah or Yoko? And now, Julian Dion presents Are You Mariah or Yoko? Where we find out from each of your celebrity guests, is it vocal range or vocal strain? There's way too much Yoko Ono in that. All right, so, and uh, also, feel free, if you don't feel comfortable, don't worry about it, but uh, just know no one's ever refused to do it. So, Jen, if you could take a second and concisely explain to the listeners and to uh, Dom the segment, and then if he does or doesn't feel like uh, up for it. Let's uh, let's, uh, go ahead. Okay, first of all, if if Dom has the cojones to do some of the rooms that are in toronto he definitely has yeah 40 of them in one week yeah the balls to do this this is a fun segment so you know when you're listening to your music and you're by yourself and you got your earbuds in yes and you're singing to yourself no one's around you think you must sound amazing right Mm -hmm. because you can't hear your voice all you hear is the great recording going back in your ears yeah especially if it's rap and i think i'm doing a verse (laughs) and i'm totally not that's amazing okay so um, we're going to put that to the test today. I'm going to let you pick a song of your choice that you like to do this with, and I'll sing the same song, 
okay. will compete to s- see who does the better job. And keep in mind, it's not even just the better singer. It's the most enthusiasm and the most entertaining. So let, you have fun, You have to have fun with it. Have a lot of fun all with right, it. Right. Okay. So um, And you give it everything you got as if you're by yourself. Okay. So try to think of one. To think and of a good we'll look song. up the lyrics. So you have the lyrics. Don't worry about that. And okay. then we're going to get the music playing really loud in your ears so you can't hear anything. Can I do a Drake track? Yeah. You can do whatever you, can do you, want. you want. Nice. Even if I don't know the song, it's kind of funny because I have I'll, to just I go have, for it. I really love uh, Drake. Uh, I don't know what the song is called, Dreezy. though. Drizzy Drake. I, I feel like I don't know the name of it, but it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> this is so bad, actually. <laughs> over. There, that's what it is. It's called Over? Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I haven't even heard it in a while, but I love it. Okay, Dom. Yeah, 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 we will. I'll give you uh, the cue. Back, you get to choose. Okay, so uh, Dom chose a song, uh, Over by Drake. This is the first hip-hop uh, edition of Are You Mariah or Yoko? Breaking Ground. Yeah. Lemon Press Studios today. Did you Okay, so you get to choose the song and you did and you also get to choose who goes first, yourself or comedian Jen Grant. <laughs> um I I feel that it it's only cuz I chose this song. How, do I have to do the whole song? No, you do about 20 seconds. I'll wave you oh, off. Okay, good. So keep your eyes open cuz some people get into it with their eyes closed and I can't stop because they can't okay. hear anything. So I think it's only fair that uh, you go second because I chose the song, and you should at least hear how it goes. It's very, you know? very gracious. Yeah, diplomatic and gracious. I've That's never heard the song for the record. Okay, so, so what do I do now? You just hit play <laughs> when you're ready, and just sing it as if you were oh, alone, and as loud as it goes. Yeah, crank it so you can't hear yourself. That's the whole gist of it. And enthusiasm counts for a lot. You don't have to be a perfect singer. All right, here it is. Don Perret with <laughs> version of Over by Drake. Here we go. Take it over. It's just starting up. It's He has a chorus that starts it, right? So, oh, wait, is this playing? Okay. There we go. It's just as dramatic right now. Okay. It's like okay. lightning and stuff. Okay. okay. <laughs> Young money. <laughs> <laughs> I know way too many people here right now that I didn't know last year. <laughs> Who the fuck are y'all? This is like the last thing did. <laughs> I just can't remember it all. What am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I'm living life right now, <laughs> man. And this what I'm going to do till it's over. Till it's over. But that's it's far good. from over. Ah! <laughs> yes! Don't <laughs> All right. <laughs> nice. Actually, you were pretty on point, I got to say. Yeah, was, I fucked up some of it. It's been a while. No, but when you got to the I'm doing me part, yeah. I could have sworn Drizzy was right here in Lemon Press Studios. I'm a little bit Drizzy. I'm a little bit Drake. That's good. Right. Oh, wait. Do you need this? Yeah. Yeah. So she's going to hand over the headphones, headphones too. too. She's going to use the whole cool. thing. It does have about four to, I don't know, eight this seconds of just like, and then he just, as soon as he goes, ah, then it's starting. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jen Grant, uh, setting the bar high, oh dumb. Oh, God. I'm really nervous. Okay. You should be. Shit balls. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh. Oh, wait, yeah, wait. Let's just start again. I'm a duck. <laughs> That's all it is. Is this a Drake song or a duck song? Okay. Uh, uh. <laughs> your money, your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I know way too many people here right now that I didn't know last year. Who the fuck are y'all? I swear it feels like the last few nights we've been everywhere and back, but I just, I just can't remember it all. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. <laughs> I'm living life right now, man, and this is what I do till it's over, till it's over. And it's far from over. <laughs> All right, bottles on me. Long as someone drink it. All right. Okay, Jen Grant. All right. Oh, shit. I'm doing me. <laughs> oh, my brilliant. God. I don't know. That, that was a tough one because Dom sounded like Drake. You had the enthusiasm. It did kind of sound ridiculous. And, but, okay, I got to judge this on quality. I laughed a lot more at comedian Jen Grant's. Than I did at my own. Well, yeah, I couldn't actually hear myself. No. Well, that's the point. <laughs> oh, yours, fuck. yours, the way you said "doing me," it sounded so masturbatory. Like, ah, I'm doing me. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh man, I I gotta give it because this is, after all, a uh, competition on on singing. It's a singing competition. Yeah, I gotta give it to Mr. Dom Perret. Sorry. It's okay. Sorry. Yeah, all right, Dom Perret. Good, Good job, Dom. I'm proud of you. I think that should be the rules. If you choose the music, then you have to go first. I think that works. Right. Well, we usually. I mean, re- bullshit, what's really. funny is uh, so many people put her, throw her under the bus, oh, and get her to go first. Do. Yeah, most, really. Yeah. Yeah. There's been like three that chose to go first. Wow. You're, you're one of the. You're a big man, Dom Perret. Well, you know me. I'm a good MC. You know. <laughs> Uh, well, there you have it, folks. That has, uh, folks, that's been another edition, brand new edition of Are You Mariah or Yoko? <laughs> All right, and we're back with the Are You Mariah or Yoko champ, a winner, Dom Perret. Ah, uh. thanks, <laughs> thanks for doing that, man. Uh, Young money. Because we, we kind of have to put people on the spot for the segment because if people think about it too much, they might... I think they'd show up prepared. They'd have a song that they've prepared yeah. for. Right. You know? Or um, just not want to do it at all. Some of, the, some of the fun of that is the vulnerability of fucking up. Right. I stumbled on it, and I, I love that song. But I, I was like, what? How, how, oh, yeah, <laughs> bottles on him. <laughs> check, check, check. Why is this happening? Hold on. Oh, shit. Hey, hello. <clears throat> Are you, could you say something? Yeah. All right, we're good. We're good. We were good the whole time. I just wanted to uh, make sure. All right. So you're pretty, I don't know if you want to talk about this or not. You're pretty ingrained in the Toronto community, uh, stand-up community. Like an ingrown toenail for sure. And and, uh, there's, okay, speaking of ingrown (laughs) and toes. I just realized I made that joke. (laughs) It's weird how it gets into you. Hey, you're going to bring up uh, the foot thread? Let's bring up the foot thread. Were you yeah. affected by that at all, by the way? Uh, Personally, did you record your no, feet? No, I never recorded my feet. It surprised me some of the people that did record their feet because they're like uh, well-established, hilarious comedians who I guess just in the time right. were like tricked. Uh, but yeah, it didn't affect me directly. But it, I mean, literally the comment was like from Pat Bercher. It was just a comment where it was like, has anyone here made a weird foot video for tricks and you were supposed to get an Xbox? Because I, I did and I haven't gotten my Xbox and it's been like months, like six months. Right. 
So a little bit of backstory. Uh, well, I guess that'll start it off. Yeah. And then all these comics came came out. <clears throat> it was like the first comment on that thread is mine going, what the fuck did I just read? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. It's really bad grammar the way he wrote it too. But I was like, what is this guy trying to say? And then, yeah, it, it just unraveled. There's, yeah, there's a comedian named Trix who uh, on this thread and right or wrong, I don't know exactly how they do this, but the, the reality is... Uh, I, he got ripped apart, but so many people just came out of the woodwork. It's like I, at the last time I stopped counting, there's about forty dudes that everyone knows about that have identified. 40. Like they've put their hands up and said, "Yeah, that happened to me," and they've they've talked about their circumstances in terms of like it, it being for a prank show, it being for a, a video on trial audition, it being for an audition for uh, some sitcom. Like um, all, always, there was a different story as to why. Like the one was a, a fucking. Uh, a scavenger hunt for DJs and so he needed to get footage of some guy's feet because of how weird it is and that's like you know if you win then all the prizes that DJs have left over from all the competitions they do where you're supposed to call in and win something right. sometimes they don't pick it up but the, the DJs put all the stuff into a pile and they do a scavenger hunt and then he'd tell them that and then but he you know there's so many people I mean honestly it's such a long thread uh, it, 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 it becomes laborious to even count them uh, it's like 1400 comments <laughs> and it's just tons of back and forth and jokes lots of jokes but the people making the jokes are the people who all fell for it and there's like whole chunks like the, the weirdest part is that at first tricks tried to basically deny it like yeah whatever like you saying i'm in defeat that's bullshit but then so many names came up and from such a dispersed geography it goes east to west coast across canada it doesn't over like five years over five years and it doesn't end with just comics like other random people would be like yeah me too but they're not comics they were just fans of comedy or exposed to him in some capacity a guy we know mutually was uh did it most recently wow and and i knew about it because he was going to give me the trip to vegas he was promised a trip to vegas and he had to go over multiple times yeah yeah i'll edit his name out but i'll just tell you now for uh for because we know him Really? Yeah. Fuck. I'm surprised I wasn't furious about that. I, I I tried to talk to him about it, and he... Yeah, I probably yeah, shut down on it. Well, every one of these guys, like, not everyone, but most of the comics who came forward, they were just sort of fun, like, having fun, poking fun at it and at themselves, and also at tricks and ripping him apart uh, as it went. And the way we kind of looked at it was like, this is kind of a comedian's justice, because we just all just found out. Like, people seem to know, but in weird pockets, like Hamilton, the community of the com comedians in Hamilton, they knew. Mm. So when I was like, what the fuck is this? I had three of them immediately go, uh, yeah, me, 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 he's done this. And we're like, I'm like, what? No, this is crazy. And for the first 200, 300 comments, I'm still like, is this bullshit? Is this a joke? And so many unfurled from that point. And I mean it, it's like 40 plus dudes. There's like other people who write comments. Like I know two guys who aren't comedians that just don't want to be involved. The number's incredibly high. And then he did his own podcast with uh, Derek Birch where he's like, he sort of like just tried to explain it off like it was a prank. Like he was like, yeah, man, I got you. You got pranked. So, you know, deal with it. Pranked. And that's not how pranks work. Like the pranks have a point where there's a laugh or, or some aim for a laugh. If this was right. just for laughs gags, they would turn that prank down. They're like, yeah, no, but you, we got their, uh, they got their feet on video, and they're like, "Well, for just slap a slide whistle on that. That's a good prank because that's not a <laughs> slide whistle. That's not a fucking prank. That's just a weird thing." And then on the podcast, he was like, "Yeah, I like I like feet, bro. Women's feet. I'm not the first one." And then what happened in the thread about a week or so ago? 
was uh, somebody uh, who's not a comedian became aware of what Trix uh, was accused of and then realized that she, and I underline she, had also had that done to her. No way. Like she was like, she thought it was for a weird audition thing. So then she got added into the Toronto stand-up group and she started going through the thread. But she also listened to the podcast and she was reacting, like writing her reaction to this podcast he did with like, like in real time, like what the fuck? And I guess she's listening to it. She was typing it out. She's furious. She she called him and had him on speakerphone so her friend could hear, and he admitted to doing it. And then he tried to downplay it, but then she found the thread, and then like it just it was it was always strange because everyone was like, man, because it, it, it was all white dudes' feet, all white dudes, white straight dudes, right? And for some reason that was just funny, but then it was like a girl, and everyone kind of was just like, this is serious now. Like it feels more predatory for some reason. Well, yeah, uh, many, yeah. But, but it just is like it's it, by his own admission. He's like, yeah, I like women's feet. And then he's like basically doing that to a girl. He's tricking her with the concept of, oh, you might get on a show or on video on trial. So she posted like her whole interaction with him on Facebook, the texts, uh, just everything. And like literally her whole thing was like, yeah, you know, I gave him a month to come clean or I'm just going to go to the press. But I was like, I don't think the press cares kind of it's kind of like it's a weird one it's not like yeah, i don't know if it's a story or not for the press yeah but it's a weird one because it's like so he looked at feet but he didn't do anything really it's not like he was running around grabbing people's butts which still is somehow worse you know right but uh, the way i described it was uh you know it's the neighborhood kid that we uh we caught uh, kicking around the cat before he killed the cat before he killed a human you know right, right, and it was right. like we all just sort of saw it in the same moment and i think that guy was getting along or getting away with it for a long time and uh, honestly, the, the weirder angle on it that I think is uh, it's a hard one to bring up without sounding like a total asshole about a whole community. But uh, it's been suggested that because it was all white dudes and their feet, at one point they're like, is it basically that Trix is just gay and he's just attracted to dudes' feet? Or what is the idea here? But then the, the whole point was like, maybe he's not gay, but there's a suggestion that you could, uh, you could actually be like, yo, are you? And he uh, performs for a lot of like, like African uh, and Jamaican audience people who, in Jamaica specifically, they they hate gay. Mm -hmm. They just, uh, they don't, what is it, Bati boy? They don't like that. They get violent about it. They reject that. So it's like, maybe he's just trying to make it go away because his core, core audience would turn on him. And that's a bad position to be in. Like, that's that sucks to work real hard to build up an audience and then lose it based on something that maybe you're not even... Uh, but like it's fucked up to realize how much you can lose. But also, yo, you did this to at least forty people. Like this was for your own self gratification. Well, at, at some point, on some level, you were getting something out of this, and these people were not sexual or not. You're getting something out of this. It was uh, maybe is about power, and you're like, haha, I've tricked all these people. I'm, I'm like in control somehow. Maybe it was management of fear. Maybe it was him feeling better about himself in the hierarchy of comedy. Maybe it was sexual stuff. Maybe it was just getting tapes and selling them off to foot fetish sites. Like, there's all these different theories. But at some point, the exchange was very obvious that you were gaining something from the situation and the person that you were having do this for you was losing something from this situation. And, and, and that, that to me, I'm like, well, you might lose some of your audience. You might do that. You might lose a bit of work. Do you think he will be affected by this? I didn't even know all of the second flare-up with the girl, uh, all that. I just knew, I read like the 14,000 or 1,400 comments or whatever. And I kind of just detached from it ever since. But I did realize, or notice rather, over the last few days and last week or two, 
he's been posting about it. Yeah, a lot. Because that that girl uh, confronted him directly. Right. And like, but do you think anything will actually? Because you say he's losing. I Is he losing anything? At I think he's. A, I think he's worried about losing something. Right. Uh, I don't know that he's really lost much. He, uh, from what I understand, he's not allowed to do a club in Toronto. It's a comedy bar. He's not invited to comedy bar. Um, he wasn't really around there much anyway. No, but like there's shows that he would do where he's booked as the opener or a headliner on whatever urban theme show or like oftentimes they'll bring in like, uh, I think his name is Michael Blackson if I remember correctly, but like they'll bring in a comic that you'd like, it would be complimentary to have Trix open for them or a host for them or whatever, but they basically just made the statement that no, Trix isn't invited to, to Comedy Bar, which really only becomes a problem when it's like hobnobbing networking stuff, you know? Right. Uh, because yeah, he's rarely there. But I'm like, that's the only real difference. Like he still has shows at Absolute coming up, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's he like as this was whole this whole thing was breaking. He was selling out the Rose Theater in Brampton. So did did it really affect him? No. Could it in the long run? Maybe. He's in a he's in that Sirius XM competition right now, which is associated to Just for Laughs. And uh, I think he won his numbers to to get into the finals. So he'll be one of the their finalists. But I, I, I would ask you, what happens when uh, he wins on his own merits? We'll say he's the funniest guy there. They vote for him to win. And now he wins. And then suddenly in that moment, the SiriusXM and the JFL brands are, are, are directly associated with a guy who's being accused, at the very least, of, of, of using people for their feet right. footage. Uh, it just suddenly now just is like, uh, this doesn't mix well just for the brands. You know, I think that'd be the only reason anyone would ever want to report on it in the press is like, you know, JFL and SiriusXM think that this guy's the best, mm. and this is this like here's the thread. Here are some choice pictures and quotes from this thread. You know, right? I think that would probably go horribly for him. So, yeah, it sucks because like, I think I think a lot of people who just hated him were just openly allowed to hate on him now. Right. Uh, but I I never hated the dude. But I'll tell you, I'm not going to hold back on joking about it or thinking about it like analyzing it in the way i'm sort of doing right now i don't i don't think it's fair to be like yo what just leave it alone if i didn't do to you then you can't talk about it i'm like this is just total bullshit yeah that's just total crap you know then we can talk about anything ever yeah pretty much um cool man thanks for thanks for sharing on that so we're gonna go go in for the uh close here uh what's uh what's next for dom Perret, man what's like for you what's a big picture are you a thinking states you said you're kind of slowly breaking I into keep there trying to push into the states are you thinking a new york la move in the future uk move or do you do you kind of think you can make a, a name for yourself here in canada what's 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 in the big picture for i'm you? not looking at uk at all i know a lot of people have yeah uh and have even gone but i, I don't know it's not it's not interesting to me and I, I couldn't explain why besides it's too far away but uh the u.s i'd like to grow in i don't think i'm going to try to jump to new york or la anytime soon i just would like to actually have work that's consistent mm-hmm. and build up my own reputation through those gigs and headlining and stuff at some point if it works out fine if it becomes something that makes sense for sure but for right now i think the i think honestly it's just i'm i just keep trying to prove to people that i'm still alive and still doing comedy you know i just i just keep trying to amass whatever festivals and credits and reputation that matters to keep moving forward in this and you know doing it the right way all right man anything you'd like to add plug say do uh i'm currently up i'm nominated for the third time in the row for toronto's uh funniest male stand-up comedian 
Uh, you have a penis. And I have not won the first two nominations, and I think that, you know, third, third time's the charm. <laughs> All right, and people can vote where? Uh, I don't know. And right. it's, it's like it's like Now Best Of. Now Magazine? Yeah, I think it's like Now Magazine slash Best Of or something, but Google it, and it pops up, you know. Google it, everybody. Do it for my buddy Dom. Thanks for uh, sitting in, man. Appreciate it. Had a good chat. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. We'll do it again soon. And watch your head. I will. And there it is. Another episode in the motherfucking books. Yeah, that's right. Thanks to my guest, Dom Perret, for stopping by. Thanks for Jen Grant for bringing it once again, always, for the Are You Mariah or Yoko segment. She kills it every time. Thanks to you for listening. I always appreciate it. I've, you have no idea how much I appreciate it. And I actually do this for you. Uh, thanks to my producer, Adam Fox, and my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix. Lacroix. And that's it. Email the show pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at jdcomedyhour. Facebook us. Facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. You know it. All right. Thanks again. And uh, come too bad. Too, too ba- ba- <laughs> I'm too excited. Why? I'm, I don't know. Uh, come back Friday, August 28th, with my guest, Mark James Heath. And as always, listener, watch your head. Waste of time. Waste of time. A beautiful waste of time.
podcast. It says stand-up showcase there, but, you know, this is a podcast. Oh, okay. Are you ready? Yeah, anytime. Okay. This is Dom Perret, and you're listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. <laughs> Spiking those levels. All right, thanks, bro. Perfect. <laughs>